0: Thank you, guys. Good to have Dave with us this morning, playing away. Um, we have, uh, we're continuing in our series today on the culture wars. And in the first three weeks of this series, just a little bit of recap here, we um, covered basically what the war is, uh, what is Christianity up against. And we talked about feminism on the one side, on the left side of things. And we talked about the male dominance, male superiority uh, on the other side. And that the Bible sets between the two the complementarian middle Uh, the idea that men and women are created equally in the sight of God, but that they're not the same. Equality does not mean sameness. And the Bible goes on to teach, through the Old Testament and New Testament, distinct roles for men and women in the home, and society. Um, And so what we're doing today now and last week is we're talking about how do we then preserve those values? How do we then preserve Judeo-Christian values and understanding of male-female relationships moving forward with future generations. Last week we talked about your kids and their education. This week we turn to the subject of your kids and their technology. Um, technology is not evil. I just want to say that here at the front end. Your cell phone is not evil. You may think that it is, but it's not evil. It's an inanimate object. When it becomes evil, when it has the potential for evil, is when you place that inanimate object in the hands of a fallen creature. And then that's where the problems begin to show up. You know, it's Christmas morning, it's somebody's birthday, it's a special day, and you go to the cell phone store, and you buy that cell phone, you package it all up nice, neat, and pretty, and then you place it under the tree, or it's there for them when they wake up on their birthday, and it's like this rites of passage moment, right, when the young person opens that up, and ah, my first cell phone, right, they feel immediately connected to the rest of their friends, the rest of the world, they feel like they're um, on board with whatever's going on in society, and so... Um, about three months later, all of a sudden the uh-oh hits us as parents, that uh-oh, uh, maybe we need to put some barbed wire around this thing, maybe we need to put some restrictions on this thing, maybe we need to figure out some way to put some boundaries in there, but the problem is the horse is already out of the barn, right, it's almost too late at that point. And so, what we want to talk about today is the impact that technology is having on young people. And then we want to allow the Bible to speak to each of those areas. I've got three different areas of the impact that technology is making. And then allow the Bible to speak and to inform us about how, how things should be. And then we'll wrap up all of that with some uh, talk, discussion about what difference all this makes, some words of advice uh, for parents. Okay? So, that's our plan. Our scripture, it's really short, it's just one verse. It comes from Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. You may know it. You may not even have to look in your Bible. You may have it memorized. I don't know. But uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet. And you want to remind us that we stand each and every week because we need to know what God thinks. And we don't have to wonder what God thinks. He wrote it down. And so we stand up week in and week out because you and I hear all sorts of voices in our lives. We read all sorts of opinions and we need to hit the reset button week in and week out. That's part of what we're doing here at church is to hear God's truth spoken into our lives, washing over our minds washing out the stuff that we don't need to think, the wrong perspective, the wrong wrong worldview, and so we stand each week to be reminded of that. So Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, let's read this promise that God makes to parents. All right, here we go. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You may be seated. See, that was really short. Um, all right, well, let's talk a little bit about that verse and uh, or about the subject of how technology impacts um our children. And so I got three ways that it impacts our children. The first one of those is, let's just hang on to that verse. We'll come back to it here toward the end. Um, The first way that technology affects our young people is through a lack of attentiveness, a lack of attentiveness. Some of you as parents have had this happen before. Your young person has got their head buried in a screen and you come up to them and you say, look at me, right? They're like this. Look at me when I'm trying to talk to you. I want to see your eyeballs. I want to know that I'm actually getting through with what it is That I'm trying to say teenagers today have grown up with their faces buried in a screen they've grown up with technology it's innate to them it's inborn to them when they were two years old we handed them leapfrog learn your alphabets on a screen and so from the very early age they learned how to interact with screens and their whole social world for them was was through those screens and so it's no surprise then that much of their social interaction with others happens through screens, whether it's multiplayer online games or texting with friends or live chats. This is how they connect. This is how they stay connected. Statistics reveal that the average teenager, just think about this for a second, the average teenager sends, not receives, sends about 3,500 texts a month. That's over 100 a day. Moms and dads, we average about 700 a month sending out. I don't don't do that, but in any case, some some parents do. But anyhow, about 3,500 texts a month teenagers send out, not uh, not including what all they're reading. Um, But before mom and dad think this is just a problem that our kids have, ask students what they think. One student said, my parents are on their screens just as much as I am. We don't talk as much as we used to because we're always staring at something else. Our child comes up to us, the two of us are in the middle of a conversation, and then something pops up on Facebook, a call's coming in, a text comes through, and we say, Hold on just a second, hold on, I gotta answer this, hold on, I gotta respond to this. And we just, you know, cut off the conversation with them because we're all so wired to our screens. Friends, screen addiction is an epidemic through the whole family, and the result of this kind of addiction is a lack of attentiveness to the people in the world that we're living immediately around. We're more engaged with our screens than we are with the people who are part of our everyday lives. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says, love must be sincere. In other words, don't pretend love. Let your love be sincere. And then he goes on to say, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. The Bible says that we should pay attention to one another, not just in a cursory way, but with a deep concerned affection. We are to be devoted. We are to honor one another. Uh, By setting our cell phones to the side when we're talking to somebody, by showing them our undivided attention, friends, that is being devoted to somebody. That is loving them with sincerity. That is honoring that other person. All right, so that's one of the impacts that technology has had. And what the Bible has to say about it, a second impact that technology has had is that it becomes a means for trying to fit in, especially amongst teenagers. Technology has become a means for trying to fit in. Teenagers expend a tremendous amount of energy and thought in trying to fit in. And so when it comes to technology, it's not uncommon for teenagers to have 500 Twitter followers or 100 likes on their Instagram page. And for one teenager, she made the comment that, hey, I, if I don't have hundred likes on my Instagram page, I'm beginning to wonder if what's wrong with me and all my friends, right? Um, it's about what is it? What is it that teenagers are trying to do? Well, they're trying to find acceptance. It's about filling a hole in their life. It's about self-absorption. I mean, does that person who has a thousand Facebook followers really go and follow the thousand Facebook followers that they have, or are they just posting because they want that those thousand people to pay attention? them right it's trying to fit in it's trying to say hey look i'm a person of importance and so teenagers especially are prone to this uh to 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 technology pulling them in that direction um what does the bible have to say about all this about trying to fit in well the bible says that your identity that your importance is not grounded in what people think of you but rather it's in what it's in your relationship with christ uh first john chapter three and verse one says how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. We are children of God. Uh, we don't have, it doesn't, our, our body type doesn't depend on whether or not God loves us or accepts us. Our hair color has nothing to do with how God accepts us or whether he loves us. Our intellect, our athletic ability, none of, whether we sit at what lunch table we sit at, none of these things impact how God loves us, friends. It's just or, um, how the, this is how the world wants to define who's important. This is how the world wants to define who's in, who's out, who's important, who's not. But God says, hey, look, the thing that defines you and makes you important to me is that you are my child. End of story. Let me tell you something. If you defi- decided to follow Jesus, you will never completely fit in in this world. Did You hear that? If you decide to follow Jesus, you will never completely fit in in this world. Jesus said, you're not of this world, John chapter 15 and verse 19. And because of that, the world will hate you. You're not of this world. Because of that, the world will hate you. Fitting in may be a perfectly natural motivation, but the Bible tells us as children of God, we have God's acceptance. All right, number three, last thing, and I want to spend a little bit more time with this, is the third impact that technology has on our children is in the area of sexual purity, in the area of sexual purity. Uh, sexting has become very popular amongst teenagers, amongst people of, of, of millennial generation. Let me tell you what sexting is. Sexting is when someone sends ina- sexually inappropriate content to another person through a text message. It may be lewd comments. It may be a picture. And sexting rarely starts with a guy saying out of the blue, hey, send me some nude photos of yourself. If you ever have those letters, S-N, pop up on your child's phone? I don't care who sent it, and if they're the ones sending it, you as a parent need to get very involved because those two letters mean send nudes. That's what that is. And so anytime you see those letters, and, see, and, and so boys are out there, they're just sending those letters out to girls, just like, who's going to send me some pictures, right? And so this sexing has become really popular amongst teenagers. Again, it doesn't start out with a pursuit of that, but what, what it starts out with is a guy texting a girl and saying, "Hey, uh, what' you doing tonight? Anybody at home? What's going on with you? I've been thinking about you today." And 200 text messages later, or a week later or whatever, finally the conversation begins to turn toward sexual uh, conversation. And it begins; those two begin to engage in topics that they never, perhaps, intended to talk about. But there they are, talking about them, sending pictures back and forth. Let me give you some statistics on this, in case we may think, well, that's certainly nothing that we ever have to worry about. 39% of teenagers, so nearly 40% here, of guys and girls admit to sending sexually inappropriate photos of themselves. And the girls, when asked, why did you do that? the girl's most often response is just to be flirty and to be fun. Just to be flirty and just to be fun. I remember when I was growing up, you'd be standing at your locker and somebody would come up to you with a little piece of paper on it or slide it into your notebook and it would say, do you like so-and-so, circle yes or no, right? That's being flirty. That's being fun. Sending photos of yourself that are sexual in nature that are inappropriate, that's not being flirty. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, the Bible clearly teaches that sex is not a bad thing. God created sex. God is not against sex. God is for it. However, God is for it within the context of marriage. That's what God is for. Pornography and sexting, these do not fit within the context of marriage. These forms of sexuality damage lives. They demean women. They represent violence against women. They represent the male-dominance, male-superiority side of worldview. Um, It is the male-dominance, male-superiority form of relationships. It may seem innocent at first. You know, he has needs that he tells me that I need to help him meet. Ladies, let me just tell you, in the history of the world, no man has ever died because he didn't get that need met. If you know what I'm talking about here, Okay. In the history of the world, it's never happened. Um, It is an appetite that he has to learn self control with regard to. uh, And so that's what needs to happen there. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, there can be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. Now, having said that, there comes a time in every teenager's life as body begins to change, as they begin to enter into uh, you know, adulthood, uh, that they become curious about these things. And these are like taboo subjects, right? Like I'm embarrassed to go and talk to my parents about it, I'm embarrassed to bring it up uh, to other people who maybe know the answer to these kinds of questions. And so what do kids do? Well, they go to Google, they go to the internet, and with a couple of keystrokes, innocent, curious keystrokes, the next thing you know, a whole scary and confusing world is being opened up to them. Statistics say that most teenagers, or most young people, see their f- have their first view or encounter with pornography by the age of 11, the age of 11. Um, and I was interested I was found this staggering thing to think as well, that 12 percent of all websites in North America are dedicated to pornography. Over one-tenth of all websites out there, of all the web information, are dedicated to that kind of information with the accessibility of this kind of stuff, with the ease of which students can privately engage with this type of material, it becomes something that we need to put some barbed wire around, right? Those tools that students may use um, to, to engage that stuff. I want to share with you a story about a high school student in Alabama. He was a freshman, and uh, he got online and began a chat conversation with a young lady who was 19 years of age, and uh, there. He had not ne- never met her before, and she had not met him. They just kind of met online. And um, they began communicating back and forth. And over the course of some weeks, um, the conversation turned. It wasn't intended to turn this way, but it turned towards sexuality. And uh, they began sending pictures of one another. And I'm sure the pictures started out with him wanting to show her his muscles, right? But then the next thing you know, the pictures became very inappropriate. And she began sending pictures of herself to him as well. Um, well, he began to feel horrible about what he was doing, what he was being a part of. And so uh, he cut off the relationship. He just said, look, I can't, can't interact with you anymore, can't talk to you anymore. I'm really sorry. I just I, I feel, feel creepy about all this stuff. And so uh, feeling a little bit better about it, he went to uh, school, over the course of course, the next week and just continued to keep conversation. And so she's, over the next couple of days, responding back to him saying, I thought we had a relationship here. I don't understand what happened to you. I really enjoyed getting to know you. Um, and then he just continued to say, I'm sorry, I just I, I can't be in a relationship with you. i got to just stop this. And so her response to him was, well, you're going to be sorry. Um, the next morning after she told him that, he showed up at school, and several of his friends at school met him immediately in the hallway and said, have you looked at your Facebook and Instagram page this morning? She had posted pictures onto his page of him, not wearing any clothes. Sad, horrible, because there it is and tagged a bunch of his friends that were his Facebook friends and his Instagram page so that they all, too, get all of these pictures. Is that what he, where he thought this was going? Of course not. And so his parents, along with the authorities, found out who this was, and we're able to, over the, it took about three or four days for the authorities to figure out who this person was and to get this stuff pulled down. Well, let me tell you the, the, great, the biggest tragedy in all of this. It was not a 19-year-old girl that he had been conversa- having a conversation with. It was a 25-year-old man. Friends, that's the, the doorway, the window, that these devices are connecting our young people to. We've got to put barbed wire. We've got to put boundaries around these devices to make sure that this inanimate device, this is not evil, but that it's, when it's put in the hands of a person with sinful nature, that it's not used in a way that's self-destructive. All right, so with that, let's ask, ask the question, what difference does all this make to my life? I think we all know what difference this makes. And I think the question that we really got to answer as parents, as adults, is... How do we get a handle on this, right? Because it's Christmas morning, we hand them the phone, they know more about that phone than without even having ever used it before, right? Than than I do after having used a phone for years. Um, And they can navigate that technology uh, intuitively. And so, um, how do we as parents get a handle on that? Well, I got a whole bunch of stuff for you here. Um, Y'all can jot some of this stuff down. Number one is um, every day should start with a designated start time and end time. Every day should have a designated start time and end time of when that screens are off and when they get turned on. Um, 8 a.m. turned on sounds pretty good. 9 p.m. sounds pretty good to me when it's time to turn those things off. I was raised, I don't know about y'all, but I was raised that you don't call people after 9 o'clock at night, that it was rude, right? I don't know if, does anybody know that anymore? But anyway, that's the way I was raised. It's just kind of like you just And sometimes, you know, you do have to bug people a little bit later in the evening. That's fine. But there does come a point where it's like, look, I'm ready to be done with interacting with folks. I need to just plop down here on the couch. I need to just begin to head off toward bed, right? And so same thing with screens is that a lot of young people these days, I don't have the statistics for you, but it's a bunch, are even sleeping with their phone at night right? They're sleeping with their phone at night because they don't want to miss a text message that might come through. And some students are staying up till midnight at one o'clock and two o'clock in the morning. You know, they'll fall asleep and then they'll wake up, they'll wake up and answer the text message and they'll lay back down and fall asleep. Well, what we're doing there is when you see the light of that cell phone, I mean, your body is naturally uh, designed to when you see light, it tells your body to wake up, right? And so the sleep is getting all messed up. And teenagers need somewhere between eight and ten hours of sleep a day and so with that sleep deprivation, what ends up happening is they end up being grumpy, they're moody, uh, they go to school, they're grumpy, they're moody, they're not able to focus, and it creates all sorts of other issues. Um, again, so what we do with our family is all cell phones, all screens, they're to be downstairs on the kitchen counter, not in somebody's room. I don't want them in my room. I don't want to hear stuff buzzing during the night or whatever. They need to be downstairs on the kitchen counter, and everything's plugged in there at the end of the day, and that's where our cell phones, that's where our screens go at the end of the day, because we don't want anybody uh, waking up and, and, and interacting after, after hours. Um, a second thing that you can do, so first thing is have a set time uh, when screens come on and a set time when they go off. Um, a second thing that you can do is uh, that no screens at the dinner table, no screens at the dinner table. Um, research has shown that families that eat together, get this, have 50% less risk of their children rebelling against the family. That's, a, that's pretty good. So it tells me, hey, look, let's get together, make sure we're eating together. Um, the key to that success is to make sure that we are all talking to one another at the dinner table, so no screens at the dinner table. That's a good rule for you to observe. A third thing that I'll share with you here is that no friending people that we don't know. This is a rule that we have in our house. Um, if it's somebody that we don't know, they're not to be your friend. If it's somebody you don't know, you don't need to be in an online chat with them. Um, and same thing goes with when you're thinking about, you say, well, how do I, you know, who do I really know? Well, I mean, how many people do you really know? How many people do you know well? You may know 1,000 or 2,000 people. But I mean, are those people part of your sphere of friends and family and, and daily interaction? Maybe 100 people, maybe 200 people do you know really well? And so if your child has 1,000 Facebook friends, they're getting interaction from people that you and they don't really know all that well or you don't know that you can even trust those people. And so we have a rule, especially in these early years of their lives, that we don't, we don't friend people that we don't know. Um, number four, use devices out in the open, not in bedrooms. Use devices out in the open, not in bedrooms. I've said this before saying it here again, is that when you put a child in their bedroom behind a closed door, that's when accountability disappears, right? And so those devices need to be out in the open where there's accountability uh, for them. Uh, Another thing is to install parental controls and software. I'll just share with you a few names of some of the software that's out there. NetNanny is good because NetNanny is good for both your Mac as well as your PC as well as uh, Safe Eyes, also good for your Mac and for your, um, for your PC. And both of those uh, software programs, easily downloadable, they cost about 50 bucks. work not only for your, your home computer, but they also will work for your mobile devices as well. Some of the software that's out there is only good for your home computer. It won't work on your mobile device. But SafeEyes and NetNanny, both of those are compatible with... Um, with, with both mobile devices and um, home computers. Um, another one is uh, to set privacy controls on your Facebook page. Did you know that your? I know I'm getting all technical and specific here, but oh well. Did you know that your Facebook page's default is to public? That is that they can, anybody can look at your Facebook page, and anybody can look at your child's Facebook page. That's, that's the, what the default setting for those things. And so I didn't know that until this week as I was reading on this stuff and went in there, and so I went to my Facebook page and looked at it, and sure enough, anybody who's not one of my friends can go into my Facebook page and see anything that's on there. And I thought, well, that's not good. So there's a little button that you can click at the top right, and it sends you into some privacy controls tab. You click on the privacy control tabs, and you can change all that so that only your child's friends are the ones who can interact with and see what's going on on your child's Facebook page. Again, these are barbed wire. These are filters. These are keeping people out of your children's lives who you don't know and who you're not sure you can trust. Um, And I'm sure the same thing applies to Instagram, same thing applies to any of the other um, websites that they're familiar with. Another thing that I would share with you or say to you is to be willing to give them accountability on this. Be willing to give them accountability on this. And this, by, by that I mean literally you need to take their phone from them once a month and just scroll through the Facebook p- posts. You need to scroll through the text messages and just see if there's anything that jumps out at you. You say, but Gordon, that sounds like I'm snooping. No, you, it's not you snooping. It's you being a parent. It's you setting up boundaries and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm the adult here. I'm the mature one here, um, and so I want to make sure that I'm monitoring what's going on. Um, making sure that they don't have private groups in Facebook that you're not aware of uh, with people that you don't necessarily, you don't know whether or not they should be having those kind of interactions with. Um, just look at their, you know, their history on, on the Internet, that sort of thing. But be willing, because you can set the privacy controls, um, but they're, I don't know how, but students have a way of figuring out how to get around that stuff, Right? And so you need to just periodically, once a month, maybe once every couple of weeks, just take out their phone, do it with them standing there. That's probably the best way to do it. That way they know that you're checking, right? And just scroll through and see if what's the content that they're engaging with is appropriate. Accountability. The last thing that I would share with you is to avoid using shame if an issue occurs. Avoid using shame. You know, shame always moves sinful behavior into the sh- further into the shadows by shaming. That's what we do. We move those sinful behaviors further into the shadows. So rather than meet our, because of course we're shocked, of course we're like, oh, I want to wring your neck, right? And I want to shame them. That's our natural human instinct. But when we do that, we push our students away from being open conversation and being able to come to us and say, hey, look, this showed up on my phone. I'm not sure what to do about that. Um, I need some accountability. I need you to know that this is going on in my life. That's the kind of relationship that I want to be able to have with my children, with the students that are part of our lives. Um, I'll give you one final thought here. You know, I didn't even mention this, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it now. Back up under accountability. Um, there is a website out there, an app called After School, and I just want to let you know about After School app. Um, the after-school app is a, is a way for students at a particular school or school district to be able to, it throws them all in an in a anonymous site together. Um, so in other words, if I go to North Oconee Middle School or North Oconee High School, um, the app, when I sign up for it, goes to my Facebook page and confirms that I'm indeed, I was born at this, I'm the right age, and that I go to North Oconee High School. And so it'll throw me into a, Group conversation with everybody else who's part of the after-school app. Um, the interesting thing about after-school app is adults are not allowed to be able to like if I'm if I don't if I'm my if my age on my Facebook page doesn't match. You know the the current year of students, then I don't get to go into the after-school app. So I'd basically have to create a shadow Facebook page to be able to go in there. Don't do that. That that is snooping, um, and your 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 young person will will remind you of that um, in a, in a not-so-good way. Um, but this, uh, this app, the bad thing about this app is, so, that, so basically it's, a, it's students who are current students at the school in a group conversation where everybody's posting anonymously. Nobody has any idea who's saying what. And there's no adults allowed. Now, does that sound like that's going to end up well? Okay, so I went to a conference uh, or conference. I went to an evening with a guy by the name of Brian Hausman. He writes a book called Tech Savvy Parenting. Back in November, and while he was on the stage, he said, "Let me just let me just check and see how." He said, "Before I always go to the he travels around two two hundred different sites a year, uh, giving lectures, and so he has a way I guess of figuring out who's on the after school app." And so he says, "Let me just see how many students right now at Oconee High School and North Oconee High School between the two are on the after school app." And so he pulls it up on his phone, and he says there's about 750 students, and this is at 8 o'clock at night on a Tuesday night, that are on the after-school app right now. And what are students doing on there? Students are bashing the administration. They're saying bad things about teachers. They're using bad language. They're posting uh, inappropriate material and pictures. They are sharing uh, answers to tests. There's a lot of cheating that goes on on these websites. We have to set boundaries. We have to rein this thing in. We have to know. It's not good enough for me just to say, I just can't understand this stuff. There are software out there that will help us wrap that barbed wire around these devices. Um, And so we just as parents need to be savvy to this. Let me just share with you one final thought, one final thought here. You know, because of sinful nature, freedom unrestrained will always produce anarchy in your home and will mark the path to destruction. Because of sinful nature, freedom unrestrained will always lead to anarchy in your home and a path to self-destruction. That's where unrestrained freedom will lead. Just simply handing your child a cell phone and saying, here you go, it will lead to anarchy in your home and will mark the path toward their self-destruction. God has placed your children in your lives. They are a gift from God. Use the wisdom of your age and the wisdom of your life experience to establish healthy boundaries in your child's life. Do not parent by appeasement. Don't do that. Be willing to say no. Be willing to be the bad guy. And years from now, you will celebrate God's promise that as you have faithfully trained up your child in the way that they will go, they should go, that one day when they're old, they will not depart from it. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for speaking to us today. Uh, There's no issue that is cuts across the grain of where we're living, more so than this issue. We ask, Lord, that you would give us as parents, as adults in the lives of young people, great wisdom and a willingness to set those boundaries in place, to say no, to be the bad guy. That's all part of parenting. Lord, we ask that uh, in the quietness of these moments, That um, you would set in front of us a determination, a resolve to make sure that this inanimate device does not become an agent for evil and self-destruction in the lives of our, our children. We thank you, Lord, for your death on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that when we make mistakes, there is forgiveness. But from that moment of forgiveness, God, it is our desire to honor you with our lives. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.